Hello there, listener. You've tuned in to the Monkey Tooth Podcast with Andrew and Tiffany Couch. We're very happy to be bringing this thing to you every other week as we get ready to go on our big two-year journey from California to Alaska and then down to South America and back. It is currently uh, April, and we are leaving in May. That's not a whole lot of time. May the 1st, we're taking off with um, our little dog, Pele. I got to tell you, before I get into this episode about Pele, that uh, crazy little thing, out of no fault of his own, was attacked in his own driveway with his uh, his people right there with him. I was standing right next to him, and two big-ass pit bulls jumped on him and nearly killed him. It was a highly traumatic, remarkably violent uh, moment. And fortunately, I had help from my neighbor, Ian McLean, a guy that we actually rent land from. He kicked one of those monsters in the head while I was smacking them, and they uh, they let go. And our dog was able to get, a, get away, and we took him to the hospital, and he had stitches and drains and all kinds of stuff. But he's all right. He's wearing a T-shirt right now, uh, which is a little funny to look at, but he does not find it funny at all. So that he doesn't tear out his stitches. Anyhow, he's gonna be all right, but it was uh, it was a little scary. He's a lucky guy. So with that, uh, in between now and when we take off, if uh, if Paley survives, uh, we're doing these podcasts, and uh, the podcast that you're about to hear is with our friend Antoine Lamam. I went to massage school with Antoine, and he's a uh, he's a great massage therapist, but he's also He's just one of those guys who's done a ton of different things. He was a translator for the UAE government. Um, he was art director for an ant, uh, advertising co- company. He's a psychologist, uh, and he's a, a clinician. He does. Um, he's a counselor actually for a, a methadone clinic. Just a, a very interesting guy. And you know, it's one thing to define someone by what they do for a living. Antoine is really a uh, a poet, and. Uh, for sure, an amazing drummer. The uh, the music that you heard at the intro, that was Antoine uh, playing uh, a dumbek, kind of like a, it's a Arabic tabla and uh, and some really cool uh, Arabic tambourine. It's it's amazing, and he he plays some throughout the episode. We we sat down with him in his house, with his little dog uh, Sesame, who was hilarious, this tiny little Chihuahua, and uh, we had a great time, and he, he played both of those instruments for us, and we recorded it, so I'll, I'll scatter some of that in between, and he suggested some really good music that is also on this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. I I enjoyed it. Tiffany enjoyed it. We, we think he's just a delightful, interesting character, so anyhow, I, uh, I want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you to those of you who've given us just straight-up cash on GoFundMe, Bishma, Deva, Narbona, and New Orleans, you're a good character. I don't care what everyone else who knows you says about you. I think you're all right. Thank you, sweet prince, for your lovely donation. Uh, and all of the rest of you who are helping us out, um, man, it really helps, especially with this weirdly increasingly expensive dog of ours. Um, we're, uh, we're just so grateful that you listen in and, and contribute in any way that you do. All right, so without any more of me, I want to introduce you to Antoine.
Antoine, what's your last name? Lamam. Lamam. Lamam means in Arabic, it comes from a verb, lamma. Lamma means to pick up something. To pick up something. Yeah, like pick her up, you know. You know, like viva, towels, paper towels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what the uh, the original, your family had in mind way back. <laughs> uh, well, they were cleaners, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, pick it up. Well, uh, Antoine, thanks for letting us come in your house. You're very welcome. Um, I know you've... Uh, I just asked you off mic if you would read us some of your poetry. Um, do you feel comfortable reading in Arabic and then translating after? Yeah, I can. Da'ini uqabbiluki qalilan. Da'ini alhasu halawat ad-dunya min shafatayki al-wardiyatayn. Da'ini almisu fiki makanan la ahadan تجرأ لمسه فيك من قبل مكانا تحلق فيه النجوم بعيدا عن حزن الأرض دعيني أذوب في عينيك بريقا دعيني أكون إحساسا في يديك يجمع أجزاء المكسورة دعيني أحبك كما يهوى القمر وكما تعشق الكواكب المنثورة I say let me kiss you a little. Let me taste the sweetness of life on your lips, of your rosy lips. Let me touch a place inside you no one else has ever touched before. A place where the stars float far away from the sadness of the earth. Let me melt in your eyes and become a beam of light. Let me be a feeling in your hands that gathers my broken parts. Let me love you like how the moon loves and how the planets passionately fall in love with each other. That was an impromptu translation, just yeah. reading back. That's really incredible, Antoine. Thank you. You're welcome. You use, I've, I've had the pleasure of just reading a few of your poems. You use a lot of um, uh, cosmic imagery, stars and light. And, uh, yeah, I feel, and they are, I feel like they are a part of us, you know. I mean, everything in the, in the universe is a part of you. Yeah. They even found out recently that the retina of the eye looks exactly like the solar system. Like really? all the planets and all the, you know, the stars and stuff like this. Starry they're already lover. inside your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Who knows if you're looking at them or they're looking at you. Yeah, it's yeah. an interesting so, way to look at it. That, that I like the, uh, the cosmic imagery. I mean, one, it's just that... It's like the sea. It's one of those those weird borders above and below that we just can't quite seem to totally explore. There's so much of the sea that we've not touched, and clearly an enormous 
amount of the cosmos we have no concept no. of. Like Robert Frost, he is mm. he was an American poet, yeah. very famous poet who wrote about nature. Mm. And he said, I'm here now looking at the sea and I can't see in it and I cannot see beyond it. You know, but yeah. there is something about it that brings up feelings for people and yeah. sensations. Yeah. Um, and everything in nature is the same thing. Yeah. If Those you really, lines. if you really look and you really listen, and from a, a deep part of yourself, hmm. you know, to the birds, to the you know, I do a lot of meditation in my garden. Yes. And where I sit and listen to the fountain or the birds, you know, swimming in the fountain and. Everything around you is like music, really. It's like a musical instrument, yes. this universe. But most people are just, they're in their heads, and the noises in their heads prevent them from getting close to themselves. Sure. And it is an art to really get close to yourself. Hmm. It is one of the most amazing arts. That's why we we end up sometimes not knowing how to get close to our families, get close to our kids, right. get close to people we love. Mm. You know, something just uh, comes in between. Yeah. So if you know how to let that go, and you get close, because that's the secret of life. Yeah, to be at, at peace with yourself is the only way to be at peace with others. And yeah, because if you cannot get close to yourself, you will always have a distance. Yeah. Between you and others or whatever you're doing. Right. Well, that's another thing about your, your poetry is that that sort of cosmic imagery is a distance unfathomable. And you're writing about someone who clearly you want to achieve greater closeness to or to celebrate the closeness of, yeah. but with imagery that is of the furthest point from you. <laughs> you know, well, you the know, stars in your hair. When I was hair. a child, I always ran to nature. Because, you know, I lived in the war. And I ran away in the war when I was 14. And it wasn't peaceful, you know. Because of my sad childhood, uh, I always ran into the trees. And, the, you know, I felt at that time like nobody really un understood me. Even I started writing poetry at the age of six. Now, when you were six years old, you were living in... I was living in Beirut. In Beirut. And this was... I don't know if you're... Are you? Do you mind me telling the world how old you are? No. How old are you? 58. So at six, uh, That what year is that when you're six years old? That's... Uh, that was uh, 66. 66. Wow. 1966. That's a heavy time to Double be Double sixes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then my, my, my dad was a filmmaker. Right. And he was, at that time in Egypt, uh, the president of Egypt, Jamal Abdel Nasser. He um, just became a president and tried to kick out all of the foreign com foreign uh, companies that they were in Egypt. That they, he wanted only the Egyptian companies to, to bloom and nourish. And so he kicked my dad out, his company. My dad had a villa, um, a car, everything. They, uh, he accused them of selling movies to Israel. At that time, that was not a cool thing. Right, not. <laughs> so they threw him in Gaza Strip, and my mom didn't know anything about him for two years. Wow. They imprisoned him in... Yeah, in Israel. Gaza. In Gaza. Wow. For all false accusations. Yes. And took his money and his villa and his car. And 
And then we went by a boat to get him. We knew he sent a little message with a guy coming from Gaza. And then my mom knew that he was still alive. Wow. Because she didn't know where he was. And we were little, like. Yeah. And um, so we went. And the funny part was the sea was so huge. And there was a storm. And I saw a boat, like our boat, got wrecked. And people dying in the water. I was six years old, oh maybe less gosh. than six. But I started riding at six. That that stuff stayed in my mind. You know, and I was one of the guys who kept like, I was little, like maybe five at that time. And I was running outside to look at the other boat. And I remember my mom telling me, come back here. You're going to fly in the wind or something. You know, yeah. And I didn't care. I felt like I was, I could see angels at that time. Wow. It was a very angelic time. Yeah. And then we picked up my dad and he was not feeling well, you know. Yeah. They, uh, I don't know what my mom did to to get him. I don't remember the, the facts about that. Likely know. a bribe. Someone paid. Uh, someone... Something happened, yeah, because they really yeah. had him there. They didn't want him to go. Wow. Um, no, he wasn't in prison. Hmm. He could go anywhere he wants, you know, but he could not leave the country. It was like a big prison, you know. Right. So. Wow. And then they let him go. I don't yeah. know what they did. So some big people talked, you know. Right. Somebody's hands got yeah. got greased. And... But uh, it was an amazing experience for me as a oh, kid. Yeah. yeah. I think I was maybe five, not even six. Wow. 1965, yeah. And that's when you felt the sort of that muse calling you to write yeah. your experience. That's that's started from there, from that experience. Wow. And my connection with the sea, my connection with the with nature. Yeah. And the planets and uh, and that's you know it's the connection to the planets that helped uh, us navigate the sea. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. another uh, well, weird connection of that sort of distance between the two and how we managed to make it. Yeah. Probably. And somehow it all mapped on the landscape of women <laughs> in your imagination with the sea and the uh, the cosmos. It's really cool. So let me just, I'm sorry, we're going to get back to uh, to Beirut. So you you grew up, that's where you're I born. I was born in Beirut. Born in Beirut. But my parents moved around a little bit, you know, at that time because my dad was, uh, you know, he came back from Egypt and he didn't have any money. Yeah. So we, we were poor for a while. We lived in a hotel. Yeah, and I remember I, I hated it because I had to take, you know, showers and use the bathrooms with other people in right. there. Were you guys working, like kind of helping run the hotel, or are you just living in it? That was like... No, we lived in there. Yeah. yeah. And then we moved to the mountains. That was very magical, because yeah. that's when I fell more in love with nature. Yes. And I used to write my poems, you know, in the forests and stuff like that. And, and my dad loved hunting. He used to take me with him all the time and walk the mountains. And what were you hunting? What, what sort yeah, of animals? Birds. Birds. Yeah, we used to, to eat them. Yeah. Yeah, and then he was a great fisherman too, so he fished. We ate a lot of stuff like natural, natural stuff mm. from the sea and the, from the nature. Yeah. The only thing now is that I feel weird about killing, you know, birds and animals. But, yeah. Uh, for survival reasons, you know, right. I have to do it. What brought me back from the brink of vegetarianism and veganism was going fishing. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine is a huge fisherman. It's his favorite thing to do, and he couldn't go. 
and it was salmon season and there were salmon out there biting. So he, he sent me out there for him to go catch fish and bring them back for him. And, uh, it's not a very deep insight, but I just kind of in watching these fish come after our bait and catching all these big salmon, it's like, that's what the fish are doing. They're out there fishing. I'm using fish to catch fish. Mm. You know, if I were in the water and the size of, you know, fish that the salmon would like to eat, they would eat me. So I, I didn't really feel too bad about tricking these salmon onto the boat with other fish and then eating them, you know? So, I, mm. you know, I'm not a huge, I'm not a hunter. I have no problem with it. You know, if people are out there hunting for meat and for, you know, for sustenance, I, uh, you can't. Yeah, there's something about fishing is a little different. It's a little different, but yeah. it's it's a perceived too. it's a perceived difference. You know, there really there's no the hierarchy of animals is just a concept that we've come up with. There isn't really an actual hierarchy of animals. It's just we have the capacity in our brains to think there is, you know, or to mm-hmm. tell ourselves and each other that there is a hierarchy. But we're all just animals, and some animals eat other animals, and I think it's all right. But sorry, that's tangent, not <laughs> not relating to what you're talking about. So you're in the mountains in Lebanon with your dad hunting birds mm-hmm. and fishing. Yeah. Did you go to fishing in lakes or did you go out? No, the we go to the sea, to the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, and the Mediterranean Sea has so many different kinds of oh, fish yeah. that they don't have them here. Sure. And they're really delicious, this, uh, the fish over there. It's what do you just, miss the most? Uh, names you never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> Mwasta. Mwasta. Uh-huh. I don't know it. Hamur. Hmm. Zbedi. There's so many different fish. Yeah, I could name twenty of them, and yeah. they're not they're not here. You're not gonna find them. You're not gonna find them here. Mm. You know, when we went to United Arab Emirates, ran away from the war, and I was 14. They have also because they are by the Red Sea. Yes, they have also amazing different kinds of fish. That um, and the shrimp, the shrimp is this big, about a foot In long. United shrimp. Arab Emirates. Oh my God! Wow, it's like. Uh, we used to barbecue, barbecue yeah. them, you know. Uh, yeah. And very tasty. Sounds great. One fish, you could have dinner. I mean, one one shrimp. One shrimp. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, over here, they're like this. The shrimp. <laughs> the shrimp. What you would they think sh- of? They, they, they shrunk. Spent a lot of time together. Now you have a brother as well. Just one brother, or how two. many? I have two brothers. The two other brothers? one is a musician too. He's a violin player. Violin player. Yeah, we're one. We, we were we were one band, you know. Yeah. And then I uh, split. I came here to this country when I was twenty, mm. trying to work on my degree in medicine. Mm. So I studied. Uh, you know, I did a lot of courses in pre-med. Yeah. And then I found out that because I was a foreigner, I couldn't get into medical school. Why? Why not? I was a foreigner. They want. That's what the advisor told me. My counselor at the. That sounds uh, like bad advice. <laughs> yeah, if you if you study medicine in your country and you come to United States for a specialty, that's different. Mm. You could get accepted there. From there, you have to write them. 
But if you come to this country, start start from start the, all over again. You can't get into medical school. There are a lot of politics. Huh. Yeah. And that's one of the mistakes. So I changed my major, studied psychology, and uh, yeah. And I became a counselor. You still practice. You're yeah. a practicing psychologist uh-huh. now. What so, What's your area of expertise? Your addiction. addiction? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we are all addicts. Yeah. The coffee not, sure was good. If we are not <laughs> addicted to something, we're addicted to our minds. Right. You know, and uh, doing the same thing over and over and over again. You know. Yeah. It's like... 50, 50, 60, 70 years, you could sum them up with one day. Because they're almost the same. Sure, sure. I mean, what you're doing right now, you're really breaking the addiction. You're going to travel. I may be travel. addicted to You're going to breaking. travel, you're going to do something different. I always tell people sometimes, if you if you wake up in the morning and you come out of the bed from this side, try to come up from the other side sometimes. Yes. You know, do something different to wake yourself up. Because when you do something over and over and over again, you fall asleep and you become, you live in a state of sleep all your life. Mm. You know, people are used to waking up and having the same breakfast, yeah. the same jobs for years, and um, they're just, uh, ad- that's addiction. I'm a little envious of that, uh, to be honest. I've, I've not had a pattern of... Uh, regularity in my life. I tend to very regularly throw take it all. Take a laxative. You know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do. I think I take maybe too many uh, psychic laxatives. We just tend to keep moving around and trying different well, things. Well, that's why you're awakened. You know, mm-hmm. you know the Russian philosopher I studied, hmm. which he was Armenian, Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff. And his uh, student, Spinsky, Spinsky wrote a book about Gurdjieff called uh, uh, Search for the Miraculous. Hmm. And he talks about how he met Gurdjieff and stuff. And Gurdjieff was wanted by the Russian government for, you know, because he was intelligent and enlightened. You know, and Gurdjieff used to ask students, it's like uh, when they come to study with him, he says, Can you stop your mind from thinking? 30 seconds. Nobody could do it. I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> try and tell me. Yeah. Some noise started happening. Right. Distracted. Distracted. Yeah, that's how the nature sure. of the mind. It is, yeah. You know, so many, so many noises. That's why they created meditation. Right. You know, people ran away from themselves. And, yeah. you know, they, they went to the toppest mountains to to be alone and to figure out this noise that's right. in their mind. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, obviously, quite a bit more about this than I do. I'm, I'm no psychologist, uh, but I'm, I'm always curious about um, the way people define things and the way people perceive things. So you you help people with addictions. Now, uh, and you said we're all addicted to something. So there's that that line between... You know, something just being a pattern and something being a pattern of addiction. Uh, do you see addiction, you know, there are people who treat addiction as a disease and there are people who treat addiction as just like a, it's never, maybe not necessarily pathologized, it's just something that, you know, you've, uh, you've fallen into. Where, where do you fall in the, in the sort of defining of addiction? Do you feel it's a disease 
or do you feel it's like a just sort of an anomaly that's sort of in all of us that we can fall into at any given time? Well, if you become, you know, an addict of anything, you become a slave to it. Mm-hmm. So the line is going to be drawn there. If you had become a slave to it or you have not. I see. You know, because I know that uh, the clinic where I work and people come, you know, they're m- most of them are heroin addicts. Mm. And I work for a methadone clinic where we give them methadone instead of heroin to level off the the addiction in them. Sure. But you should see at 6 o'clock in the morning when we open, the line of people Mm -hmm. standing there trying to get that dose. It's like the end of the life. And if something happens to our computers or something happens like we're delayed a little bit in dosing them at 10, 15 minutes, oh, man. Big deal. They go crazy. Mm. You see, that is slavery. Yes. That is the line that you're asking about. They already crossed the line. Because when you need that in your system, if you don't have it, you think you're going to die. Right. Or something wrong is going to happen to you. Mm. That is, that's where you really, that's where it's becoming a disease. Sure. And that's, you know, that's a chemical in your body, which is replaced chemicals you would naturally produce. You yes, know, the, and, the, the, and you know, the, the thing is, you produce a lot of things by your brain. Sure. And if you really concentrate and you meditate, you may be able to produce the same right. the same hormones or the same you know substances. I, I guess I, I've heard people describe, see, I, I don't have, I mean, I'm certain there are things to which I'm addicted that I'm just unaware, but I, I've never picked up smoking. Like I didn't, I, I used to drink, but I don't, I never was like a you know, daily drinker. I don't know that I have anything maybe other than coffee and masturbation that have been like with me for years and years and years. As well, like you're a, normal. I think, right. But outside <laughs> of that, I don't know that there is anything that I'm necessarily, that I can... Well, we need know. to talk about the masturbation. Well, if, <laughs> it's good that my wife's here, that it helps really buffer the conversation and keep you, <laughs> keep you on track. But the uh, when I think of like addiction as a, as a pathology, as like a disease, you know, it, it's, it could be anything, you know, if it's heroin, it's heroin, if it's cigarettes, if it's yoga, if it's exercise, whatever it is, it's a personality trait that is gravitated towards doing something to the point of just ultimate experience. And I, so I don't know, it, do you feel like that's, that is well, the pathology? I, I believe that most people don't trust their bodies. Hmm. You see, your body is very honest with you. It's like alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol is honest. Pretty honest, yeah. You know, alcohol tells you if you drink me, you're going to get drunk. Yeah. It's very honest with you. Yeah. Now, getting drunk is your your problem. It's your issue, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, true. So your body is the same thing. Your body tells you what it needs. Uh, and it's very honest with you. If you have pain, it manifests. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hide anything away from you. Right. Uh, any like you have a problem with your knee, you did something right away. It tells you, you know, there is a problem there. Right. So deal with it. Yes. You know, some people deal with it differently. You know, everybody, depending on where you come from and what you have in your mind, right. your unconscious mind. But um, addictions are parts of our lives. Yes. And that's how Gurjeev talked about the curse of the universe. 
that for some reason something happened to this universe that got cursed by other planets or jealousy or something. That's why people fall asleep in this life. He only said only maybe 20 or 30 percent of the population have a chance of figuring it out. Hmm. The rest, they just live their life in a deep state of sleep. And that's where that addiction becomes a disease, hmm. that deep state of sleep. And, you know, when you do something different and you're awakening yourself, that means you are already on the side of the 30%. That you know that there's something going on with you and you don't want to fall asleep. But at the same time, it's hard Very. to figure it out. Very, yeah. So you travel around the world hmm. trying to find home. I think I have a beautiful saying in there. I, I say, I traveled the world uh, to find home. But I didn't know that home is who I was and who I am and who I want to be. Right. Something like this. It's not exactly what I said. Sure, but something to that I have effect. to find it. It's in yeah. my other book called Together. Together. Yeah, I have another book writing you've, beside you've, The Passion of the Renaissance. You've published two and there's a third to come. Uh, well, Books. I published one and I published a CD called uh, Echoes of Silence. Echoes of Silence. Yeah, it's a CD with music, and I'm on it playing music. Oh, wonderful. And my brothers are playing background music. I could give you a copy of my I'd CD. I'd love it. Yeah, that'd be great. And um, Passion of the Renaissance and Together are not published yet. But okay. Confessions from Rain and Echoes of Silence, they yes. are. So uh, traveling the world, trying to do something different. Yes. Uh, you're always looking for things to wake you up. Instead of things to put you more to sleep. Yeah. Well, you've definitely done your share of traveling. You, know, yeah. you, you came here from the UAE. You said you lived in Dubai for... I lived in Dubai for five years before five years. I came here. And then when I graduated from school, I went back to Dubai and I worked as a translator for a company. Wow. You know, and, and I the, always been a musician. So yeah, I always find jobs in music. Yes. You know, it's in the blood. Yes. And, uh, that was an interesting job too because I was traveling. I went to Pakistan. I went to England. I went to, wow. you know, for the job. Yeah, I was traveling around. So. Yeah, that's a. And you were playing music when you traveled as well, or just that was mostly for the translation. Well, when I traveled, sometimes it was uh, I traveled for music as well. Mm. You know, for the translation, I traveled maybe a week or so, and I come back. It's all was meetings and working. Yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But music, yeah, I traveled. I. Uh, I went all over the United States playing concerts and yeah. I mean, poetry readings as well. Yes. You know, all over the country. So when you when you decided to move to the States permanently, um, were you married at the time or you got no. married when you got here? No, I got I married here. It happened. My first wife, uh, uh, we met at a nightclub. Hmm. Uh, and from the first, you know, we moment we saw each other, it looked like we fell in love with each other. Yes. She was a dancer. And, you know, when I get on stage and start playing, you know, it's hard for a dancer not to fall in love with me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I was young at that time. I was 26, 27, I think. 26. 26 and a half. 
something yeah. like that. <laughs> and she was older than me. Then she was like nine years older. Oh man! But she had an amazing body, an amazing dancer. So, and I, I came here from United Arab Emirates on a tourist visa. After I, I had, um, I was a student on a student visa. Now, a tourist visa every three months you have to leave, like you know. So I was, uh, I just came to California. I was living in Florida. And I came to California on a contract with a nightclub for a month, you know. And I, she and I started dating and we deeply fell in love and stuff like that. And I told her that I was going to leave. She said, where are you going to go? I said, I have to go back to my country. <laughs> I'm here only touring, you know. Right, right. She said, over my dead body, you're going anywhere. I said, <laughs> I, said I had to go back because I have, they said, what, how can I keep you here? Uh, I said, the only way to keep me here is to marry me. He said, yeah, I'll marry you tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, that's how it was. <laughs> and that lady, you know, she's an amazing woman. Hmm. Uh, till now, she still have my last name. Oh, wow. She never changed her name. And she's my friend on Facebook as well. Her name is Debbie. Debbie Lamont. That's great. And uh, we separated because of my dad, basically. Hmm. You know, when my, my mom died, my dad came and lived with me from the old country. Yes. And he drove her nuts. Oh, I see. And, uh, you know, we had only one uh, one bedroom apartment. And yeah. imagine, you know. Yeah. And he brought a friend with him, too. Oh, man. Yeah. Not... It was a very hard thing for her. Yeah. Even though, you know, we had a lot of love, but we had a lot of problems with him. Sure. That I didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. And at that time, so uh, she ended up leaving. We separated. Um for like a year. And I didn't know that she had the desire to come back till I present her with divorce papers because I I met someone else. Hmm. And I was... Uh, and then she didn't want to sign them divorce papers. You played the drums too well. <laughs> she didn't want to sign the divorce. She drove me nuts because, you know, I said, I think she said, well, uh, you know, I left because... I thought maybe we need time out, but I really miss you. And I want to come back to you. And I had another woman in my life. I said, this is really crazy, you know, because wow. I did really like love her a lot, you know, and it took me a long time to get out of it. I had anxieties at that time. Sure. And um, I was going to the emergency rooms every two, three days. Really? Heart sick. After she left and my mom died, yeah. I had a choking feeling. Mm. Like I would feel like I can't swallow. And when I feel like that, and I was in top condition because I used to, you know, would be international bodybuilding and stuff right. like that. I used to go to the hospital and say, what is this guy doing here? There's nothing wrong with you physically. I said, yeah, but there's something wrong here. Said, Physical manifestation. So they start giving me Etivan, you know, and all that crap that I threw in the garbage, you know. Yeah. I don't want to use, I don't like to use drugs. Anymore. No. So and then until I figured it out, yeah, I was working on my master's degree at that time, psychology. Mm. And my teacher, one of my teachers helped me a lot, yeah. understanding myself. Yeah. Did you were able to finally link the anxiety of your yeah. mother and your and your wife to your physical manifestation? Uh -huh. Choking is a really interesting spot for it to Well, because manifest. my mom was a singer. Oh wow. It ha I have to tell you, every time I sit down to write you. My ink becomes milk. 
Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. So that's where that stuff comes from. Whenever wow. you have separation anxiety, hmm. all what it is is you are a little baby getting separated from your mother. Hmm. Yeah, you said something about that earlier, that you develop your your sort of background default personality between the ages of, what What did you say? like Between the, when you're born till you're seven. Till you're seven. Nobody can really damage you after the age of seven. Huh. You know, everything already happened to you. It's all written down, huh? So whatever you see after that is all a reflection of what you already have in, in you, unconsciously. Mm. So your unconscious mind, as, as you know, it doesn't want you to learn anything new, as we said. It works as a guardian. So every mm. time you try to evolve or break that, something works against it. I wonder what that, that's got to be the just the stamp of our evolutionary past. Like what was that? That's the, the curse that Gurdjieff well, called it a curse. He didn't curse. even understand it 100%. Sure. He thinks it's a planetary effect. So you think it's, it might be left over from our evolutionary past? Somehow. Like what was the utility in that? Like why? Well, you need to travel to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll report two back. years later, we're going to meet and we, yeah, I'm going to ask time. you the questions. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think I'll be answering those questions with more questions. <laughs> Seems to be the well, that's That's how yeah. you discover things. Is I agree. I you should agree. have more questions than answers, I guess. Yeah. You know, the answers are there really everywhere around you. Hmm. It's like Joe Coderre. French writer, French psychologist, she said to the questions of your life, you are the answer. And to the problems of your life, you are the solution. So the more you seek yourself, the more you get more answers. You know, you are already coming to this life, you are already an answer for something ambiguous. Each one of us is just as unique as you see. I mean, I talk to a lot of people every day, yeah. counseling them and stuff like this. And every personality, even though addiction or no addiction, the human beings are just amazing beings. Yeah. What you can learn from them, we can teach them. It's just, it's an endless thing. Yes. The soul, especially. You could, you could sense and smell somebody's soul. You know, no matter how, if some of them don't take showers much, yeah, but, yeah, quite a but I still smell their souls. And that's what I'm focused on, the, the, the soulful being in front of me. I mean, I, if I'm going to put my attention on their dysfunctions, mm-hmm. you're going to really hate people. Sure. But if you put your attention on that endless work of their soulfulness, you have an ocean of things to work with. Let me ask you, how would you define a soul? How much? Uh, how would you define like what like what is what is the soul in your in your in your mind? Well, the soul is is everything that is learning in you. That it's the, the thing that will never quit. Hmm. Even if your body quits. Hmm. You know, it is that seed. The moment you get that seed no matter where you throw it, something is going to come out of it. Hmm. So it is basically your seed. Right. It's the seed of, of your um, ethric, ethric work, ethric life. Yeah. And uh, just it 
came to be in this body for now and all the complications that came with it, you still could see it if you want to. Yeah. You know, don't focus too much on the mind. Mm. The mind is just a jungle. You can't see anything through it. But if you go back to the to the source and to the seed, there is nothing but beauty. So it's that essential part of a person. Oh yeah. Whatever it whatever they're about, it's their their essence, that's, not necessarily their true. complications. Yeah, or their... that's the seed, and, and yeah. it just uh, it keeps growing uh, here or there or anywhere. It seems like to me it would get because a, a lot of the people that I've enjoyed their art or their their music or whatever it is that they create. It's whatever their essential nature is combined with their their problems. You know, how you think about uh, you know, musicians, how many of them were just troubled and, and, you know, writers and, and poets and these people who had deep psychological mm-hmm. issues and, they, you know, separation anxieties. They had, uh, you know, they felt abuse. They abused drugs. They abused alcohol. But they produced this incredible art this incredible work. So it's it's it would be tough and I'm glad there are psychologists out there who know how to parse this out but to to separate the essential nature of a person and the messy mind mm-hmm. which can create things like art and music and food and culture and all the things that we enjoy. No, because you need to look at people from what they are not from what they think they are. Most people don't think much of themselves. So, yeah, when I'm when I meet a new client or whatever, I I try to look at them from who they are, so you don't judge them, because these problems are a part of this life. Problems are there for some reason to make you discover different places of yourself. I don't remember the name of the artist, uh, the writer who said there are places in the heart are not yet to be unless you be. Are places in the heart. There are so many places in the heart that you haven't discovered yet. Hmm. You need, you have to be in order for them to be, you know? So you have to, again, it's what you are. You have to be. And and going that to that state of being. Being your essential self. The different places of your heart that, you know. So everything in this life is all about learning. Yes, well, I agree. There's that. nothing else, you know, and and thank God we have the seed hmm. to keep us going. Otherwise, as you see, like the body is not there for you all the time. No, it'll let you down. But that quick. seed will always be there for you. Hmm. And the more you you learn on this dimension, is that what you take with you, and that's the signs of your growth. Yes, you know, and some people for some reason, and I don't know if it is planetary effect or not, that they will never learn. <laughs> um, they're just... Doomed to repeat the they're same just, mistakes. Even though they don't learn, but they are great examples like for other people to learn. Right. You know, the, the, so every human being has work to do on this earth. Right. Even though sometimes if it's nothing, but it's still something for another person yeah. to learn. And that by itself is a blessing. And when I see these people who I'm working with and I see where their dysfunction, I feel so amazing that I reached this part, uh, you know, of myself 
where I, I can enjoy anything I, I like, enjoy anything I want. I probably yes. will enjoy death too, you know, hmm. because uh, everything to me at this point is an enlightenment, including death. Yeah. A song, a breeze, uh, the snow, whatever I see, um, people, food, different languages, you know, everything is music to my ear. Yeah. You know, I don't focus my attention on the noise. I focus my attention on that peace of mind that mm. I've reached. It's interesting because it, it reads in your poetry and in your and sort of your prose that you know as you're looking for that the stars and the cosmos and the sea and these other things those are pretty essential pretty uh, those would represent I guess the soul of any mm -hmm. given uh, environment. I say in my book together I say something about the moon. It's like it has been in the same place for thousands of years. Never change its place. Now, the earth may rotate around it, but the moon is, is there all the time. The sun and the moon have been there for forever. They do their work right, precise, you know. People look at them, people see them sometimes, people don't see them, you know. People experience the warmth of the sun, sometimes you can't. It doesn't mean it's not there. You know, for millions of years, they've been there for you. Never changed, never missed a day, never missed a moment. And every one, once in a while, one sits directly in front of the other <laughs> and creates magic on yeah. the planet. Which is, Did you get to see the eclipse this uh, past year? I saw parts of it, yeah. There My was, brother uh, had a better, he was in Minnesota, I think. Where was he? Um, his wife or someone there. And they saw it, It was the, they went into the field. Yes, and and they saw it was magical. They took pictures. And, uh, what you know, we got to see it. We were in Oregon, um, and we got to see it. We were in totality for over a minute. It was pretty special. But I, what I didn't quite think of at the time, and I, I read about later, was the you know the the distance between the sun and the moon and the Earth. You know, they're they're vastly different in size. The Earth is much larger than the moon, but the moon is and the Earth are vastly smaller than the sun. But when you look at the sun and the moon and the sky, they look about the same size because of the, the relative distance of yeah. the sun makes it seem the, the same size as the earth. Creates the, the illusion. Yeah. The moon, right. And when uh, one passes in front of the other, the moon passes in front of the sun, one can completely, I mean, 100% block it out. And all you see is the corona, which mm. is, it's a phenomenologically rare enough thing that we've not been able to find any other instance of that anywhere else in the observable universe to us. We can't see another, we can't work out mathematically where that's happening anywhere else. That's crazy, you know, to think of like all the... Well, you need to drop the mathematics sometimes. 
Drop and the math. <laughs> drop the math in order to see the magic. Sure, sure. And then I've never really... Well, so I, now in this instance, the math to me heightens the magic of it. And it, and it, it, it sort of uh, highlights the improbability and the, the, the beauty of the, that we get to see that, that we are just a bunch of apes down here on this planet that just happen to be the one planet around where that ph- phenomenon happens, where the sun and the moon can completely mm. shade one another in this in this sort of magical and bizarre way. So I hear what you're saying, drop the math, but mm-hmm. every once in a while the math is just as confusing and beautiful as yeah. poetry. You know, no, nothing really amazed me as much as the moon and the mm. movements of the moon. You know, yeah. books, religious books have been mm. written about that. Sure. You know, the Quran is the Islamic book for the Muslims. Yes. You know, the, the, the month of Ramadan, it's all about the moon. Yeah. Isn't that the symbol? Uh, one of the, the, the great symbols uh, on the Quran yes, is a sliver the of the moon. The crescent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's on yeah. their mosque. Right. On the mosque, yeah. What, yeah. What's the connection there? <sighs> well, they say that uh, God created that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the different times of the, the moon, uh, it's like when the moon is new and, and then becomes the fuller and full moon and right. and the effect of the moon on people's behaviors right affecting the water our affecting the water gravity, affecting the earth it has a lot also. to do why god put it there they say hmm. and it's it's mentioned a lot in their religious sure. practices and religious teachings uh, sure the moon is an important part when they uh when they eat when they fast hmm. when they, you know um so it's a it's a part of some yeah. people's religions, even. I would imagine uh, just about every early religion that was trying to help sort out why things happen on the planet, yeah. You know, but pre scientific method, that was the scientific method. You know, today we have GPS. Yeah. <laughs> a long time ago in the desert, they had the moon. Yeah, that's right. The people used to to follow the moon, how they travel, and they would know when they're going to get to the, the here and there. Sure. From the 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 uh, shapes yeah different shapes of the moon I mean navigating by the stars and the moon uh, navigating when to plant yeah crops knowing when winter's coming all that sort of stuff so like, the math basically what it does it made our brains dull you think so you know now you're dependent <laughs> again that state of falling asleep again going back mm. to the same subject we started yes addiction right which yes. is my major and being dependent on all of these things, hmm. which you know, it puts your your mind into sleep. Now we don't even know how to calculate anything except with a calculator. Sure. sure. We don't need to sit down. You know, every time you sit down and you write things, you are using all of your senses. Writing is very important. I did a lot of writing to get out of this anxiety stuff, beside yeah. the poetry. That, sure. You know, right? And I like to write my poetry with a pen Yeah. instead of writing it on instead of a computer. Typing. Because when you write, you get really involved. Do you have nice handwriting? That, I feel like you would have nice handwriting. I do. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that pen, the, the, the pen and, and your arm and your, your, your brains, yeah. it gets just involved. You know, and you scratch here, and you write here, yeah, and you, you, you get it. involved in your work. Smell the ink on the paper. Yeah, so the computer, the math, all of this stuff really made people dull. Hmm. And, uh, you know, 
the GPS by the moon. Oh my God. Is <laughs> the as the dream of a poet, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, well, I gotta I gotta push on that a little bit because uh, the same was said about books and writing. When that technology first came out, people were like, "Why do you want to write everything down? Then you what? Do you, you know, who's going to remember anything if it's all just written down? Everyone will forget everything, and we'll just have to rely upon the books." But how much poorer would we be without the works? Uh, all the great works, all this great writing, and the stories that we're able to tell each other. So I, I hear what you're saying. I appreciate it, but I I reject it <laughs> because That's all right. no, no. I mean, I, I I don't reject it fully, but I I I feel like those those developments and those little turns in technology that we're all we're all in the process of evolving constantly. Mm-hmm. I don't think evolution has stopped. I don't think it has the capacity to stop. You know, with this with this kind of a life we live today the mm-hmm. fast paced life sure. we're living we do we need all of this stuff you know it comes with with life it makes things a little yeah. and and it's amazing how it's falling into place yes it's like now we get in your car i mean i have a gig three hours away from here and i just type it in put and there the you address go. And it is <laughs> you know it is amazing if i wasn't gonna follow the moon i'd be there three years later yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. and i won't be able to make a living right so, uh, right right so it is. Uh, it's amazing, yeah. but it's still like. A... But I know what you're saying about making you dull because uh, today I I wanted to go somewhere and my GPS was not working, and I don't have a map in my car now. I used to I used to be a delivery driver in in New York, and we had maps, oh, these little wow. great little maps, and I did all five boroughs: Connecticut, New Jersey. And I'd never been there, but having these little paper maps, they're on spiral bound books. I felt empowered to go anywhere that was in that book. You know. Sure. I never felt lost because I could always reference that book. And, but without that book and without our GPS, you're just asking strangers, which there's always a way to find where you need to go. There's and imagine sometimes sometimes I go places where the computer, your phone, it doesn't work. Yeah. You're out of reach. and uh... Yeah, which, you know, I've really, the, the more, you know, we, we've had cell phones for a while, and it wasn't until we moved out west, kind of where these things were invented, that we found so many places where they don't work, you know, on, all along the coast, you know, yeah. you get somewhere not terribly far from Apple he- headquarters and the thing doesn't work. <laughs> like what the hell? It's sometimes it's too much. <laughs> yeah. Too much you know, information. Too much of like the Silicon Valley. Yeah. To when I go there is like, oh, sometimes if you go inside the house, your phone doesn't work. You have to get outside <laughs> right. or to catch yeah, the signals. It's a strange thing. There's no telling where it's all heading, you know, mm. but, uh, but I, to your point of it dulling people and dulling society, I, I do get that. And I, 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 I am so much into it. awakening the yes. mind all the time, you know. Yes. But that does not mean I don't enjoy sometimes the state of sleep I am in. Sure. <laughs> because, you know, sure. that's constant work. Right. You know? no, I mean, I, I enjoy a lot of the, I think the microwave, even though it's unhealthy, mm. but it's one of the most amazing it's an incredible invention. It is incredible to to be able to warm up food. You know, before I where yeah. I grew up, we had a, a stove. that you have to pump it. You have to right, and oh. then wait for the water to warm up. And yes. you know, yes. Today, if I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna be late to work. Yeah, there's no way you can do anything. The the trick. So it just it is came filling that extra time in our lives with something worthwhile, which mm. is where I think to your point of of not dulling yourself. If you do have all this extra time at the expense of your technology, 
Yeah. Make good use of it. Be smart. You know, do. It's true. I wonder if would you mind reading me one more poem? Is there one in particular that you'd like in to English? read? Sure, any, yeah, in any, English. Any, any, any Let's poem. read in English so people can. I say, don't blame me if I walked up a tunnel of light, collecting the warmth of the sun and the beams of the moon from every leaf on every tree. Don't ask me why I gathered them in my little bag, carried them on my back, and walked with them to the end of the forests. At last I want to sit with them, sleep with them, and meditate with them for hundreds of years, just to feel what God felt when he was creating your marvelous face. I say I don't write about you for you to love me. I write about you for you to love you. I don't write about the birds because of their wings, but because of my freedom. And I don't drown in every sunset if I don't see the repeated shape of God in every color. I don't look at the flute from its wood only, but from its burning desire to play music. Love, my friends, is an inner business. It is the unbroken spring inside you. Antoine. Goes kn- on and on. I knew you were. Uh, I knew you were a lover, but man, that's some beautiful stuff. Like that's. Yeah. That's a. Uh, that's a work of. And it's all. It's one. It's one piece, but uh, about a hundred sonnets. You said right. That's, yeah, around a hundred sonnets. I like that. I say, kind of the beginning, of each one. It's got a. <laughs> it's like you're talking to yourself telling yourself the story of this great love mm-hmm. you know well you know, you have to remember that everything is happening from you yes you know this whole universe is a reflection of you absolutely and and poetry is just a connection right you know you you connect with with everything around you you know the, the you connect for sure to the, with the moon with the planets with with the wind with, you know my first book, Confessions from Rain, there was another edition of this that came, edition one. And I wrote that in Mountain Diablo. 
I don't know. Have you ever been to Mount Diablo? I haven't been. No. It's uh, off Walnut Creek. Yes. So when I was having this anxiety, mm. I I took off from work, and I spent three months going to Mount Diablo, Diablo every day. I take my blanket, put it under the tree, sit there, and write. And I wrote the whole book in Mountain Diablo, hmm. in the forest. And it rained on me, snowed on me, wind, sun, whatever. I stayed there till I finished the book. Uh -huh. And that's what basically um, saved my anxiety. It got me out of my anxiety. Hmm. So I decided to just, after that, what happened to me is to write a book. And I, I think because of my talent in, in, in poetry, you know, in Arabic is unbelievable. The poetry in Arabic that I yes. write—it's just—it comes very natural. And in English, I had to train myself to become natural in English because English yeah. is not my first language. Yeah, I can't imagine how to do that. How to take lyricism from one language to another? It's yeah, be... and 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 meditate on it and and yeah. make it the language that I want. I don't I don't really translate my work when I, I write this in English. I don't write it in Arabic and translate it to English. So you write Arabic poems and write English poems. You're right, and never. Do no, you, yeah. I have some translations that people ask me, like you ask me right. to translate that poem. I never sit down and translate my poem sure, sure. and write it here. No, this stuff was written in English. Right. That's a, you know, I've, I found that I read uh, Cervantes, the, uh, uh, now I'm forgetting the name of his great book, Don Quixote. I've read, uh, the first one I read was like a fairly recent translation. But if you read other translations of that work, they're very different. And they're still mm. telling exactly the same story, but like the turns of phrase and the way people will take those translations. Like Rumi. Yeah, exactly. It can you be know, very, very different. Rumi. I mean, sure. the best one who translated him was Coleman Bark. Mm. You know, Coleman Bark was an English literature teacher. Right. I think he was teaching in Boston somewhere. Really subjective to and, find And that, he's a poet. That voice. But his poetry didn't make any, nobody liked it. Till he started translating Rumi, yes, and people fell in love with his work, mm. you know. And Rumi fit him very well, and he mm. went to Iran and studied Persian for a long time, wow. so he could really live the language. Yes, you know, the translator, he work as a translator is a very hard job. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, you know, it is. It's very hard to to also because you have to look for the ideas behind, be, right, beyond just the words. Yes. You know, and now I, I translate for an orchestra in Michigan. I translate Arabic poetry into like Arabic songs into English. Wow. I make I make money that way. That's great. That's a job for me. I, every two months they do a concert. They have 10, 12 songs and classical songs in Arabic. They're this big. And I translate them and I translate them with my own way of translating. Sure. Because I put my poetic uh, mind in, into the into the writing the and I got itself. like the bread and butter yes. of the poem and to translate it and, and turn it to you so you could as an American person sure you know, understand it you understand the depth of this right. work there, there are things that I, I, I again I'm no uh, linguist but from what I understand of Arabic specifically in the actual speaking of the language like their the breath and there are things represented in the way that you pronounce and enunciate words that we don't have a, um, an equivalent in English. You know, there's no deeper meaning than just saying, if and but the God toast. You know what I mean? They're just words. 
that the meanings are in the definition. But from my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like to say the word, like when you say marhaba, like welcome, that that, that breath has a significance that mm-hmm. relates to God in a way that we we just don't have a all that, the words thing? all the words real? in Arabic that has the letter ha uh-huh. in it. It has to do with sadness. Sadness. Uh, sadness and breath. Because basically the word Allah mm-hmm. Allah it's a breath thing. Right. It's to take a breath. You know, that's what it means. So it has to do with that. And uh, you see as uh, the letter ha which it's H mm-hmm. in English. We call it ha in Arabic. Ha. Ha. Allah. 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 See that? The final the breath, breath at out. the end. Yeah, we use it a lot in, in poetry that has sand, uh, uh, sad endings, you know. It's a mm. sad ending sound that when people are, um, you know, everything in life has to do with going back to the breath. Sure. Gurjeev said, time is for beginners and breath is for finishers. <laughs> That's fantastic. Isn't it? So the more you pay more attention to your breath, the more you are more grounded hmm. and, you know, you go into your own self. Yeah, and what a terrible fear and anxiety when you are not there. You can't breathe. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Know. That's and a lot of times anxiety is comes from like you don't know how to breathe. Yes, very you know? much so. And uh, and a lot of things happen to people when they're little mm. that take their breath away. Sure, punched in the stomach, you fall from a height. You're you, right. Any number of things. Especially in, in in my country, they they beat children up. I'm here too. Sure, but yeah, I'm... they abuse them. They beat them up, mm. and uh, the child lives in. Between Fear. those states of crying all of his life, yeah, not understanding why this happened to him, mm. and and the body, as as you know, from you are a body worker, and I am too, and sometimes I have people here who are massaging, and I start crying. Mm. And to God, didn't happen to you yet? I've not felt the urge to cry, but I've definitely felt some things that are not uh, that I don't have a normal explanation for. Yeah, for when I play that oud. Yes. Music, and I start massaging people, and I can sense people's feelings that are under the skin that's coming out. And there's a lot of abuse in there. Yes. You know, it's just so funny. After my operation, I would be sitting like in the rehab in the, in the room, and I start crying all of a sudden. And I cry, and I cry, and I cry deeply. And it is because what I found out, you know, I asked myself, why am I doing that? And a part of myself answered me. He said, your heart is angry. Hmm. A part of you, when they open you, there are so many feelings. Now, we're talking about surgical, the physical surgery. Sure. But we, as human beings, there is an emotional surgery that's going on at the same time. There are so many feelings under the skin that are held by the muscles. Mm. You know, your muscular sure. system, as you know, the body is made of so many different systems. Right. And one of them is the muscular system that sure. we work on as massage therapists. And that has a lot of emotions in it. And yeah. that's why sometimes when when you're working on people, people start cannot breathe or they start having the 
their nose gets stuffy and mm-hmm. you know a lot of these not just physical things are happening to people right a lot yeah. of emotions going on psychological effect pre- presenting as you're a touching you're touching different parts of their lives that yes. the, and the body stores everything it doesn't let go of anything not mm-hmm. even one incident doesn't let go of yeah. that's how honest it is with you it yeah. keeps everything for you so I went through that when you know they cut through. Yeah, they're cutting the you know a lot of layers that carry a lot of emotions for me. Got stirred up. I can only imagine. I mean, you had open heart triple bypass yeah. surgery. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine your heart would be highly pissed <laughs> off by that. <laughs> you know, the heart gets angry. It, it does get imagine. angry with you, and uh, especially when the, you know they put it to sleep for six hours because they cannot put things in it. If right. it's if it's working, it's sure. like you're working on an engine in a car that's running. You can't. You have to shut down the shut engine down. Sure. in order to fix it. Right? This is the same thing with your body. Yeah, with your heart. Oof. And they pump you by a machine. Right. A huge machine. You know. You know. And uh, and after that, they're gonna wake it up. <laughs> and you will hope that it wakes up. <laughs> yeah. Please <laughs> after, come back after this sleep. <laughs> Don't be too mad. Yeah, no, they, come back. They are artistic today about doing that. Yes. Yeah, it's an amazing... Comes back. And it's an amazing surgery, yeah. A lot of math involved. Talking about math, the guy who wrote The Science of Algebra was Arabic. Very much so, yeah. His name was Al-Khawarizmi. Can you say Al-Khawarizmi? Al-Khawarizmi? No, I cannot. (laughs) Al-Khawarizmi. I cannot. (laughs) Al-Khawarizmi, yeah. His... uh, the Mongolians attacked Iraq back in 1258 and threw all the books in the river, the Tigris River, mm. and it turned blue. And bl- the, the river turned blue for uh, probably 500 years because uh, everything was written in, in, in ink. You know, at that time they used to pay people money, gold. They weigh the book and they pay you gold for it. That's how important for people. And there was a little booklet. They forgot to throw it in the in the, in the uh, river, and that booklet was an algebra b- book. The little booklet by Khawarizmi. They built all the science of algebra from that booklet. Wow! So imagine the the knowledge that went down the drain with that river. How, how many times have we done that to ourselves as a species? And now the, the, the burning the, of Alexandria. They, they blew up, you know, when Iraq. Yeah. Through a lot of beautiful oh. museums, the art that yes. the were sh- shot and yes. broken and expo- explosions, and that you're killing not just the regime, you're, you're killing civilizations of art Culture. and beauty. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful proverb in Arabic. It says, "Tishrabish min bir with zit fi hajar." Don't ever drink from a well and throw a stone in it. 
<laughs> it's, it's one of the most beautiful proverbs. Really, it's simple. But my mom used to tell me that all the time. I never drink from a well. So don't ever drink from a well and throw a stone in it. Mm. Mm. You always have to be uh, uh, graceful. Yes. For things that do that, you know, give water, your thirst. Your... Right. So I think that's a beautiful proverb. But this was a slang proverb. Well, Some of the best ones usually are. are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You're welcome. sticking around just want to say thank you to all of our supporters and to ask that you give us a review on itunes like us on facebook or follow us on instagram at monkey tooth if you have any questions or suggestions drop us a note at mtp.dog that's mtp.dog thanking you be good